20 and verses 1 to 18. It's a great resurrection story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He <coughs> saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Women, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this episode. We thank you for these words. And we pray uh, through Sarah now um, and through your spirit in our hearts, Lord, that you would speak into each of our lives in a way that makes a difference. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, as Andy said, my name's Sarah. Just for those of you that don't know me, I am not someone who likes the cold, so I'm currently freezing. Um, so if I start jumping up and down while speaking to you, it's not because I've gone a bit strange. I'm just genuinely very, very cold and making a strange noise. Um, so this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series looking at Jesus the Game Changer. Uh, if we could have my PowerPoint up on the screen, that'd be great. Uh, looking at how it is that the teachings and the values of Jesus have actually seeped into the culture that we know today. And even if we don't acknowledge them or always recognise them, actually the impact that Jesus has made today here in Bourneville in 2016 and the way that that is reflected in how we live our lives day to day. And the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning was really brought home to me uh, a few weeks ago where I was stood in a school playground and I heard uh, an eight, nine-year-old little girl say to another uh, girl of a similar age, "Ugh, you run just like a girl. And uh, everyone had a little laugh, we went on our way. But on the way home, I just reflected on actually how that one innocent-sounding comment was slightly part of an underlying value that we see in so many different areas of life. Because essentially here we had one young girl insulting another young girl for simply being a girl. 
And we kind of laugh about it in, oh, you throw like a girl, you run like a girl, seep into our everyday life. But this morning, we're going to look at the whole topic of how Jesus came along and changed the game, the world, for women. We're going to look particularly about the culture that he found himself in, but actually how that has left off as a mantle that we can now take into the culture that we find ourselves living in today in the UK, but also further afield in the rest of the world. And, you know, if you're like me, when you hear kind of very specific talks that we're going to look at a very specific people group, it's quite easy for that to invoke different reactions, isn't it? Uh, For some people, maybe, you know, if you're a woman here this morning, you get that sense of, yes, we're going to talk about women. Or maybe if you're like me a couple of years ago, you might think, oh, it's going to be all feminist and I'm going to get told I can't wear makeup. Um, Maybe if you're a guy, you have that same reaction of, yeah, brilliant, this is good, this is important. Or that sense of, oh, well, this isn't relevant, I don't really need to listen to this this morning because this is about how Jesus changed the game for women, but that's okay for me to not listen to. Uh, But what I'd say is the really exciting thing about what Jesus did was that he came and brought a message about women, not just for women. Because the teaching that we're going to look at reflects just as much in a really amazing, powerful message that he left for men as well. But I guess for all of us as well, in a church like Riverside, where one of the core values of the church is that men and women stand in equality, serving alongside one another, it's very easy to say, well, you know, we know this is an issue in other places in the world, but actually, is this relevant in our life today? So uh, I was looking at the BBC News website over the last couple of months, and for me, the lead stories that we're going to look at very briefly that are up on the screen highlight how relevant this issue is to each one of us even today, and how what Jesus did not only radically impacted the lives of the people that he was living in in the Greco-Roman culture, but also radically impacted the lives of us now. So the first one, a headline, China arrests after illegal network determining baby gender. A story looking at how even with the end of the one-child policy in China, people were still illegally finding out the gender of their baby prior to giving birth, with the end result of abortion taking place if it was a girl. Horrific story in the news. The second one, Nigeria's present Bihari, my wife belongs in the kitchen. Uh, This was a story, if anyone saw that, where uh, the president's wife spoke out against the corrupt policies that that she saw in her husband's government. On a visit to Germany, whilst he was standing next to Angela Merkel, someone asked him about this, and his response was, my wife belongs in a kitchen. And if you didn't see the news story, it's worth looking up online just to see the look on Angela Merkel's face and how she responded to that comment. Uh, The next one, UK girls becoming more unhappy. A headline that came off the back of a recent Children's Society report which looked into quantifiable reasons looking at the happiness levels between teenage girls in the UK and teenage boys in the UK. And what they concluded from the report that was over the last five years, the happiness levels of teenage boys in the UK have remained static. But the happiness levels of teenage girls over the last five years in the UK have decreased rapidly year after year after year. And we're going to look at that a little bit later on as to our response. So very pertinent to this week ahead, senior Republicans condemn Trump's lewd comments about women. Uh, We're probably all aware of that and and what the response that was in the news. And even in the last few days since I I put the PowerPoint together, if any of you have seen that... um, Bono was named Woman of the Year by a popular female magazine because of his uh, response to the issue of feminism and the giving a voice to women across the world. Uh, Now, there was a massive response to that in a lot of the national press who all stood up and said, this is ridiculous. Why has a man been given an award for Woman of the Year? 
Whereas if you read the article in the magazine, they feel like it was a really empowering thing to do this for a man. So whatever we think about those articles and whatever our own personal response to those issues are, it shows that this is something that is so relevant for all of us to be aware of us and all of us to be looking at. And as we look at what it was that Jesus did that was so radically different in the world and the society that he came into, it's probably helpful just to look at what the society that Jesus found himself in was like. What was it that he came along and did so radically different to what was already existing? So the society that Jesus found himself born into was very much a patriarchal society. It was a society where women had little or no voice, where women were often seen as inferior to men on every level, be it spiritually, physically, morally or intellectually. They weren't really allowed out of the house unless somebody went with them, and even then on very rare occasions. Women had no voice when it came to legal matters. Uh, they couldn't stand as witnesses in court. Divorce was so rife because it could happen so easily, because women didn't get a, a voice in that. That was at the whim of a man saying, I'm going to move on. As simple as that. It, in issues of rape or abuse, it was very reflective of the shame culture, which we still see now. And if anyone's following any of the shame online things in the news nowadays, horrific stories where women have been abused or raped, and the blame is completely put on them. And that was the culture that Jesus found himself living in. The identity of a woman came very much from her parentage, from her marital status, from her children. Her worth was not in her, it was in the things that she had around her and that she achieved through those that she was married to or the family that she came from. Girls got married very young and didn't have a say in it. It was at the man's choosing of who she, he would marry. And all of these kind of stories, which we respond to and probably go, that's awful, how was that allowed? are actually probably for the more well-off women. Because if you were poor or living in poverty, actually you really had no voice at all. And you were there for the whim of all of those around you to be used and abused in many horrific circumstances and cases. It wasn't a beautiful picture for women. It was a picture where women were oppressed, and yet no one saw it as oppression. This was just normal day-to-day -day life. And here, in the UK, we are living in a very, very far removed uh, society from that. But the reality is that this society that we're talking about this morning, that Jesus found himself born into, is actually still taking place in many places across the world today. And as we respond to things like that, and as we hear about uh, the world that Jesus was born into, Actually, the response that we can have is one of saying, how incredible that we have got a different message in Jesus. Because Jesus stood and was born in a society such as this, and yet he did something so incredibly different. And that is where the hope and the mantle that we can continue in our world comes from. As we begin to look at the teaching of Jesus and what these really radical, game-changing things that he did to empower women and to change the attitudes of men, I just wanted to read a blog quote that I found that said, I didn't used to think of myself as a feminist. The word never appealed. I liked the idea of being a woman when I was on a sinking ship, with reference to the men and uh, women and children first. But the more I learned about Jesus' teaching, the more I realised that to know Jesus was to know a feminist. 
And we're going to look at the example of Mary Magdalene. There are so many amazing, amazing examples throughout the whole of the New Testament of times that Jesus came and gave women a new voice and empowered women in a new way. But we're going to take the one story of Mary Magdalene and look at how in that one woman's life, Jesus gave a message which gave hope and turned around the culture of those who he was speaking to and uh, living alongside. So Mary Magdalene, uh, we first come to see uh, in the book of Luke in the New Testament. And in the first few verses of Luke, it says, After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. On face value, we don't learn loads about Mary in those opening verses. It's very short, it's very simple. But actually, as we begin to look at them and unpack them more, we begin to see the beginning of the amazing truth that Jesus brought in empowering women in a completely new way. Mary, uh, to start off with, was from a city called Magdala, Mary Magdalene. It was a city known for its vice, for its violence, a place where people didn't want to go. Where, as a woman, you didn't have a great start in life anyway, being a woman, but to be in a place where actually vice and violence were rife, life was going to be even harder for you. But not only was it going to be harder for you being a woman, here we learn of Mary, who had seven demons in her. Now, whatever your understanding of demons is throughout the Bible when it's talked about in this context, what we know is that this is a woman who would have been outcast. This was a woman who probably lived on the streets, who others could use, abuse, jeer at, because there was something that set her apart from the rest of the people that she found herself living in. And we know from other stories that if you are uh, reading the Bible, you will know that there are other stories that Jesus talks about people with other demons in them. And these are not people who are running up to Jesus going, hi, heal me, please, can I be in your gang? These are people that we read of who abuse Jesus, who mock him, who do things where they're kind of like running away from Jesus. And yet this is a woman that Jesus went to. She didn't search him out. She didn't go and find him and say, please heal me. This is someone who Jesus saw the worth and the value in. There were other people saw an outcast, where other people would have turned their backs on her. Jesus searched her out and saw her worth as a child of God. He saw more than a woman. He saw more than someone filled with demons. He spent time with her. And we cannot negate even the simple act that in public Jesus would have gone up to her and it talks of him healing her, even if it was the simplest, shortest prayer that healed Mary Magdalene, he still went up to her as a woman in public and prayed that prayer, which went against every social and cultural norm of the day that he was living in. And not only did he then heal her, he also invited her to come and join the fellowship of believers that he had around him. What an amazing truth that here was a woman who was an outcast in so many areas of society. Jesus saw her, Jesus healed her, and then Jesus invited her to come and to journey with him. Her life was taken and turned completely on its head by that one simple act that Jesus did, which broke so many cultural norms in a really radical way. And then if we look at the passage that Andy uh, read to us earlier in the service, 
there are some really key parts of this passage which I'd just read lots and lots of times before but hadn't really understood the significance of until I started looking about this area of Jesus and women and the amazing way that Jesus changed the game for women. So at the beginning of... uh, at the beginning of the chapter 20, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started running for the tomb. Just to put into context, uh, Jesus has just been crucified. So the Son of God, in whom so many had put their hope, has just died on a cross uh, in a very public, horrific manner. He has been put in a tomb. The disciples have scattered, devastated, hopeless, because what they saw as their hope and their saviour has died, has ended. So Mary has come to the tomb to tend to Jesus and goes there and finds that the body is no longer there. And what happens next, it's very easy to read in our culture and to just take for granted. Of course, she went, there was no body. She went and told the men, they followed her, fantastic. But we have to remember the culture in which this was written. Because this was a culture where women didn't have a voice, where women weren't believed, they weren't allowed to be witnesses. And yet here is Mary, who was given access to the 12 disciples, who was able to go to them, uh, particularly it talks of the ones who maybe were kind of the leaders of that group of 12 disciples. She goes to them, she tells them a really key piece of information. They believe her, they follow her and go to the tomb with her. There are some amazing, significant differences to the behaviour of those men who had followed Jesus, who had lived under Jesus' teaching, than there would have been for the rest of the guys in the culture they lived in. Because those men met with Mary. They let her come to them. It wasn't a case of, oh, okay, come on, Mary. She was their equal. She could speak to them. They believed her. They followed her. They went with her. Mary wasn't someone who came along with Jesus to make the tea. Mary was an equal disciple who came, who was believed, who was followed. Amazing difference to the world in which Jesus found himself living in. Uh, then a bit later on, it says as up on the screen, Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, Mary said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Mary was at the tomb with some of the other disciples. They were all there. Jesus could have, at that moment, revealed himself. And yet he didn't. We don't know why he didn't. But Jesus revealed himself, did the most crucial event that human history has ever seen, the most pinnacle event that our faith is undergirded by, the Christian faith is undergirded by, his revealing of his resurrection, that he had overcome death, that he had come back to life. And he did that to Mary, to a woman who in society had no voice, who couldn't have been a witness. He chose her to be the first and the key witness in this amazingly incredible, fantastic, crucial event. And I think Mary's reaction 
again, sums up the amazing truth that Jesus did to empower women. That he didn't just say, Mary, and she said, oh, Jesus, friend, or burst into tears. She answered to him, teacher. That was her first response. Because Jesus was Mary's rabbi. She was his follower. She was being educated under the rabbi of Jesus. She stood in equality with the 12 disciples, as did many other women. And even putting this talk together, so many of my female friends said to me, but yeah, he didn't have any women in his 12 disciples, did he? No, he didn't, in those first 12 that Jesus called. But he didn't have any Gentiles either. He chose 12 Jewish men. And there's probably not many of us here, maybe some but not all, who can say we're Jewish men. But yet, in his inner circle of fellowship and disciples, he did have key women who he chose to be key witnesses, to take a key message back to the rest of the disciples that Jesus had risen. Mary's name appears in all four Gospels, and she's often mentioned more than many of the other 12 disciples. An incredible testimony to the way that Jesus said, you are worth something. You are worth everything. That her value, that her status came simply as a child of God. That Jesus didn't see men, she didn't see women. He saw children of God who had worth, who had value, to be invested in, to stand and to serve one another. And the really incredible thing that Jesus did as well was not just to come and to give an example to women of how they could live their lives, of how they could be empowered, of the, of the difference that could be made in their lives. Jesus came and did an incredible work in the lives of men, which we've seen in the example of how the disciples reacted to Mary. Because Jesus gave men really important messages as well. His teaching speaks into the whole issue of lust. It speaks into adultery. It speaks into divorce. All of the areas where men often had many lovers, you weren't just married to one woman, you had a lot. He said, no, that's not my way. Uh, it speaks directly into the kind of culture and the rise of pornography that we have in our own culture. And fantastically, a couple of weeks ago, our youth group on a Friday night looked at the whole area of pornography, challenging cultural expectations, that speaking about things that maybe we don't like to speak about very often in church. But Jesus did. And he said, guys, this is important. This is a message I'm bringing to you as well that we're not just changing a gender, we're changing a society. That Jesus empowered the women that worked with him, that lived with him, and he challenged and he changed the mindset and the behaviour of the men that were with him. Sarah Beesey, the uh, author of Jesus Feminist, which is a fantastic book, which uh, someone lent to me the other day, was quoted as saying, Perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There has never been another. A prophet and a teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronised, who never made arc jokes about them, never treated them as the women, God help us, or praised them or, or the ladies, God bless them, who rebukes them without fear and praised them without being condescending. He took their questions and arguments seriously. He never mapped out the sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female. He had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. 
He took them as he found them and was completely unselfconscious. There is no act, no sermon, no parable in the whole gospel that borrows from female perversity. No one could guess from the words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny about women's nature. We probably can't always grasp quite how radical Jesus' teachings were because we probably, in our society, can't grasp quite how bad it was for women. But yet Jesus came and turned that on his head in a radical and a life-changing way. And he left us with a really incredible mantle that we can now continue. Because whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, we have Jesus as the Son of God who has left us with a message to say, we need to value all. We need to see the worth, the incredible nature, all that I have placed inside every single human being. That we can't bury our heads or turn our heads away from the fact that there are issues going on in the world, as we saw earlier, which are horrible and horrific. You know, that we can get to know about things that we can do to, to support and stand against those who are working either for the regime or, not, or, or, or to actually end it. The UN are running a campaign, the Goal 5 campaign, which is looking to end gender equality for all women and children um, across the whole of uh, the world by 2030. There are loads of things on the website that you can really simply and easily do to say, I want to be a part of this. Just simply go on, sign a petition, get involved on social media. Emma Watson, the famous actress who led the He For She campaign, where she encouraged and stood up and said to men, we need you to have a voice in this. Because actually, at the moment, it's the men who are going to be able to say to the women, well, you can be empowered and you can have self-worth in the countries where they currently don't. She got loads of backlash, loads and loads of backlash on social media for standing up and doing that, of people saying, why is she doing this? Why is she trying to empower men to stand up for women? But again, it's really worth looking at that speech and all that she said. We can read things like this is Children's Society report and not be satisfied with the fact that young girls in our nation are becoming increasingly more and more unhappy. And the reasons that they gave in the report were primarily due to appearance. The young girls are becoming sadder and sadder as they look at themselves in the mirror. In schools nowadays, if you talk to a lot of teenage girls, all of them will tell you that one of the biggest crazies is contouring. I didn't know what that was a few weeks ago. I'd never heard of it before. Contouring is basically where young girls spend hours defining non-existent cheekbones or a bone structure on their face because the only way they see true beauty is to have a really structured bone structure because that's what they see in the celebrities. And if you go onto YouTube, you can see clip upon clip upon clip, thousands of them, on how you can achieve this. And young girls are taking hours every day doing this. That we can say this isn't okay. That we, as uh, followers of Jesus in today's community, can raise up a generation of young women who know that their worth and their value is not on what they look like. It is in the fact that they have a saviour who died for them, who loved them so much, because there is so much worth and value in them as people, not in them and what, as what they look like. And that we can raise up a generation of young men who aren't satisfied and happy with locker room banter. A generation of young men who, when they hear things derogatory being said about young women, say, I don't want to be a part of that. 
Because what you're talking about is not an object. It's my friend, it's my sister, and her worth and her value does not come from the fact that you are pressuring her to send a text message uh, which is sexually explicit. Which again was another reason that was given as one of the uh, reasons girls' levels of happiness were decreasing. Because of the pressure they felt from men, from young men in their generation, to send sexts, to do things that they didn't want to be doing. Jesus left us with a mantle that was incredible. He left us with a message that said, whoever walks through the doors of this church on a Sunday, whoever you meet in your day-to-day life is a person of worth and a person of value and a person who I thought was worth dying for. That we can take that mantle and that we can say, no matter who you are, regardless of your gender, regardless of who you are, what you do, we think you're incredible and we want you to know that there is a God who loves you just the way that you are. And that one day, throughout the whole world, that we will, with hope, stand in a school playground and hear a young girl say to another young girl and a young boy say to a young girl, wow, you run like a girl, that's brilliant. So I'm just going to pray as we finish that we would be people, whether we know Jesus here this morning or whether we don't, that we would be people who would take on board this mantle that he has given us to say your worth is in the fact that you are a child of God. You are unique and you are incredible just the way that you are. Father, I want to thank you that you came and gave us a message that was so radically different. Thank you that you changed the game for the women that you met. Thank you that you came and changed the game for the men who followed you, who believed in you. That you showed a different way to live that you showed a different way for equality. And I pray for each of us here today that we would take this mantle and that just as you saw the worth and the value in every single human being, we would be people who would reflect this in the lives of every single person that we come into contact with. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.